Well, hello and welcome back to Kansas City's championship-winning podcast, Beethoven Walks into a Bar. I'm Gonzalo Farias, a social conductor here at the Kansas City Symphony. And I'm Stephanie Brimhall, the Director of Education and Community Engagement. And I'm John Klinghammer, clarinetist and bass clarinetist with the Kansas City Symphony. So, John, welcome back to the podcast. It's been a little while, yeah? Hey, hi, John. Thank you so much. Yes, it has been a little bit. Um, you told me the last time when my wife and I were on the podcast was September 2020, uh-huh. and I didn't, I couldn't believe it. I thought, no, I can't possibly be that long ago, but it, it was. Well, and back then, we were playing porch concerts for our neighbors in the middle of the pandemic. Yep. A lot now, has happened. A lot. A lot has happened. It's, it's has a whole happened new, whole new world then. out there. Well, not only are we back in Hellsberg Hall playing concerts for audiences again, uh, the Chiefs now have three Super Bowl wins since the last time you were you were joining us. Uh, we also had a less than desirable airport, if I can say that, and and that's not true today either. Um, and. You were childless the last time, but that has changed too. So all all those things have changed. Tell us about what's been going on. Uh, well, it's very <laughs> exciting. Yeah, you're right. Um, uh, I am actually on paternity leave right now because my wife Maria, who's a cellist in the orchestra, and I had our first uh, child back in October. He's four months old. He weighs twenty pounds, <laughs> and. I take him upstairs every time he needs a nap, so I just refer to paternity leave as eternal leg day. Ah, yes. Um, because he's a tank. I love that that when we talk about babies, you talk about how many months they are, and then pretty soon you'll be talking about how many teeth they have and what size clothes they're wearing. All of those things are going to come up, so just be ready. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready for it. I'm excited about it. Awesome. Well, welcome back and thank you for joining us. Also joining us today is a special guest, composer and conductor Matthias Pincher. Uh, Matthias is in town conducting the Kansas City Symphony this week on a program of Ligeti, Ravel and Scriabin. Well, welcome to Kansas City and to the podcast. Beethoven walks into a bar, Matthias. Thank you so much for having me. I love how you say it. Ligeti. Ligeti. Well, I guess I do say it with a... um, with a little bit of, I'll, I'll say, I've spoken to enough of our musicians in preparation of this concert to say Ligeti with just a little bit of, um, I don't know, a little bit of a sneer with it. But we'll get to that later. <laughs> I think it's enthusiasm. Enthusiasm, uh, yes. I notice how you say Ligeti. You mentioned the Ravel, of course. And, you know, you mentioned the Scrabble, but you say Ligeti. So it's... <laughs> <laughs> it's hard subject this week. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we get to that, maybe we could start with something lighter. <laughs> Indeed, before we get started, I have to ask the one question that I think is on the minds of all Kansas Cityans, Maestro. And I'll preface this by saying you've you've got a very successful international career as a conductor and a composer, which probably means that you have both arrived at and departed from some of the finest airports that the world has to offer. (laughs) So I just have to ask you this. How did you find the Kansas City Airport, the new terminal? Tell us all about it. Does it, do we, do we, do we pass muster? I I had no idea what was going on. So I, (laughs) my plane was, you know, arrived on time. And I get off the plane and everyone is smiling at you. And then, I mean, I just got in 
fairly late and when some of the the booths and the coffee shops and the the bars were actually supposed to be closed but everyone was out like with champagne bottles popped and having in party mode some of the security officers were you know drinking and cheering and i like something is up i had just how it is all the time we just when you fly into kansas city you just get champagne (laughs) (laughs) the airport looked amazing and beautiful and you know open spaces and not at all intimidating that's what you sometimes get when you you know flying to airports especially where i'm from from new york city it's like you know you feel like whoa that doesn't feel so good but here just you walk into an open space but i had no idea and then my driver was picking me up and said i oh, sorry i couldn't you know get to the point of where we were supposed to pick you up but this is day one of a new mm-hmm. era i had no idea so congratulations muzzle top on a state of the art airport i'm so happy and proud for you but yes it's 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 a beautiful beautiful space and it's uh, what is even more important uh, a welcoming space so it obviously makes a huge difference in in your culture here in the city that's great to hear excellent answer i could not have written that better myself <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit um you're you're in town we have um a great program i'll say it nicely of ligety and Ravel and scriabin can you talk a little bit about how the program came together and um what our audiences can expect to hear on this program it's a program of, about color about lush colors about fluidity like um the core is french i would say i mean we have the the g major piano concerto for two hands on the program um and the beautifully intriguing rhapsody espanol by ravel and you know to be totally honest that young scriabin uh with his poem of ecstasy at this point in his life was almost like considered semi french because it's a very french inspired score um he spent parts of his life in 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 france and was very you know inspired and intrigued and influenced by french culture french music uh, french literature um the scores even notated in, in french so it's maybe one of the most french sounding russian scores in music history apart from the firebird i would say stravinsky so that's definitely the cohesion and then um i think that you know it's the 100th birthday of george ligeti so i thought it would be appropriate to bring you know um not too often played work by ligeti to to kansas city to this fantastic orchestra because it really completes um the facets of of the soundscapes that we offer it's it's a it's it really is a lush program you're walking through this beautiful garden with lots of you know fragrances and scents and colors and um big program lots of notes to organize and mm-hmm. just this morning I'm yeah I'm so much looking forward Matthias you know I I was you know of course working with you in the morning today in the rehearsal um, and I think I can potentially voice a lot of people in the orchestra we were really trying to see what the Ligeti work was all about you know you hear these sort of works in recordings but when you hear them live in the actual space it's a completely different thing can you walk us through um what kind of colors what kind of things we can expect or listen to because very often when you start listening to the piece it's somewhat chaotic it's hard to you know maybe that's the point of the piece but here and there there's like spectacularly different colors that are so rewarding when you are open to them can you talk a bit more about 
how we can get into those sort of colors. I mean, to be totally honest, you just listen to Ligeti the same way how you would listen to Symphony by Brahms or Mahler. I mean, I'm mentioning those works because we're somewhat in the same territory. Um, I mean, yes, Ligeti is Hungarian, so it's not necessarily German-speaking territory, but it's very close to the Austrian border. So it's breathing that, you know, kind of generosity of phrasing and lush articulation that we find in the works, you know, by, by Viennese composers through different centuries. So it, it clearly informs itself by, by, by that. But then it takes it a lot further. So he dares to really dissect the entire infrastructure of the orchestra and scatters all these 18, 90 players into individuals and have them all do their own thing. Metered, organized, structured, but then they merge again towards, you know, the same path and have this like glowing stream of intensity for sometimes for only seconds until they, you know, disperse themselves again. So uh, this, this work among or within the catalog of all the Ligeti works that he wrote so beautifully explains and conveys what I would describe perspective in music is in, you know, perspective in sonic art layers and layers and layers and um it, it's really fun to listen to i mean i'm going back to how you said Ligeti. yes it's, <laughs> <laughs> it requires a very fair uh, and courageous amount of preparation there's a lot of fast notes but you know once they all sink and lock in it creates this you know like um zoo of 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 sounds which is unbelievably intriguing and of course right after that rehearsal i talked to some of the musicians and they were like wow we worked so hard for it but it's really cool so yes it's absolutely worth investing you know the the personal preparation time to to get you know the fingers in the right place for the piece but it's 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 a spectacular um buzzing kaleidoscope of of sonic uh, appearances i think that was what was so intriguing for me so um i did a, a lot of different chamber music concerts with um many of our musicians over the last two weeks and so i've i've you know kind of heard in the background a lot of rumblings and a lot of talking about um preparing for this concert and i think what was so interesting and intriguing for me is listening to all of these you know incredible people um, I don't. I don't know that anyone in the orchestra has played it. I haven't heard. I haven't heard that. I. I don't think our, the symphony here in Kansas City has performed it. But I think what was interesting to me was listening to so many people talking about something you know that was brand new, and I'm. I'm looking forward to experiencing hearing it this weekend, knowing that you know this is something that's brand new that was a bit intimidating that was you know kind of has gotten a lot of really incredible people out of their comfort zone. And I think that's what's really intriguing for me about coming to this concert is just kind of hearing the final product after listening to the, you know, the discussion and the, and the preparation, you know, in the practice rooms and stuff uh, as it comes together. I'm, I'm really intrigued to, to see that because you don't get that very often. I, I think that's, that's exactly what we're, you know, going for as musicians to sometimes be encouraged to get off the beaten track, to stay, stay alert, to stay fresh, you know, just sometimes you, you have to dare to jump into the cold water to, to, to really feel that inspiration again, that is the source 
of of inspiration and courage that we you know we we that's nourishing us that for that choice that we made to be performers musicians and and uh, yes it's hard to play but in the end it's extremely rewarding i mean a piece by richard Strauss is hard to play and some of the scherzos of, of gustav Mahler are definitely hard and and require individual prep time so um it's the same thing forgive me but if you want to really really nail a haydn symphony or a mozart symphony it you know it it requires it re requires also it does require practice you know it's it's not something that you sight read if you really want to get the sounds right and you know have the right balance in between you know bow speed articulation pitch da 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 so you know yes it's it's a different language but it's it's the goal is the same to make the music pop and make it so powerful and 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 suggestive that it easily communicates itself to to the audience and I'm 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 positive that this is going to be the case here uh, at your beautiful concert hall on Friday night and Saturday night and Sunday for the matinee so <laughs> the movie is going to be out there yes I actually have... Matthias I think that's a very interesting point at the end because uh, not only requires people that are at the top of their game playing but also it requires people to listen and to be open because I think one of the most intriguing thing for me, and I'm just looking forward so much to Friday, Saturday and Sunday, is that you get to experience the whole in a different way. I mean, we've heard so much, you know, standard rep, and it's just amazing to hear the whole and the organ and everything. But with this specific piece, you potentially are going to hear certain aspects of the whole that you've never heard. You know, especially in the loudest or even in the very, very soft um, sections of the work, you're going to feel something sensorially so different. And that's so exciting for people that, you know, have heard a lot of music uh, at the whole, but they're going to find something extremely different. And that's so exciting and intriguing for me. Let's also be honest. I mean, that music of Ligeti, um, late 50s, 60s, 70s, it, it feels like a meteorite that has, you know, landed on planet Earth and no one has an idea where this came from. I mean, usually, I mean, music history develops somewhat in a linear fashion. I mean, we understand that the late, you know, Bruckner becomes, or, or let's say the late Brahms becomes Schoenberg and late Schubert becomes Bruckner. And, you know, there's these links in music history, but then all of a sudden there's Ligeti. <laughs> I'm never going to live it down. Uh, and you know, this this music is being smashed in front of us, and and it's uh, we're going to wow the Kansas City uh, audience. I, I'm I'm telling you. I mean, it's like exactly how you said. It's like there's sections where the music is so powerful. Sometimes when it just merges into some unisono, and then there's like pianissimo sections where all the strings are like noodling along, but in the uttermost, you know, restrained, uh, pianissimo, very soft passages. It's, it's, uh, uh, it's a powerful word. I, what can I say? I, I will say, uh, I remember the first time I heard Ligeti it was when I was 18 years old and I was living in Prague for four months and I didn't have a lot to do. And I would go to the American embassy and watch free movies every Tuesday night. And, the, and they had 2001 A Space Odyssey. I just remember the visceral power of the, of the music. You know, it's a, it's a musical experience, that movie, because there's so little dialogue. And I think 
yeah, there's something atmospheric and otherworldly about about his music that the audience can really enjoy. And I played that that very work that you're mentioning, which is a quotation from Ligeti's Requiem, mm -hmm. last week in, in Berlin with with the Philharmonic, and um, to hear like that huge chorus becoming instrumental voices and how the instruments, this entire huge orchestra, are becoming voices of the chorus. It, it's 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 a mesmerizing, powerful language that has. You know, it's it has never been you know copied or repeated by anyone else uh, after, and clearly it's coming out of nowhere. So it's uh, it, it's 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 a very isolated, extremely powerful, and um, also human voice. I mean, we know about the story of Ligeti that lost his parents in concentration camps in, in the Holocaust, and there's a lot of there's a lot of darkness in this too. I mean, it's it it is somewhat. I would include it in you know what Austrian music is. It it has this you know desire to be light and and detailed and crafted on the surface, but it's it's rooted in in darkness and mud and lead, like the music of Schubert, like clearly the music of Mahler. So I see Ligeti uh, absolutely a hundred percent in in that if you can call it a tradition, but in that context for sure. So we've talked, we've I, we've given Ligeti a lot of attention. Um, but, uh, you know, we have two, as you mentioned, gorgeous pieces by Ravel. Um, George Lee is joining us to perform the uh, piano concerto. And George is actually has been uh, in Kansas City many times. Um, I think when we were looking back at our at our history, just recently, I think he was here two or maybe three years in a row, um, kind of twice intentionally. And then one time he stepped in and was filling in for I think somebody who was sick, but um, just he's always a great friend of the symphony and a tremendous musician. And, and Stephanie, I don't know if you know, but I mean, I actually had no idea. I didn't research too much about how many times George came to the symphony. Yeah. But I grew up with him in, in some ways because we shared the same piano teacher in Boston. We had, I had that piano teacher for like 10 years. I'm pretty sure he was born in that music school because he was like <laughs> since three or four and he made you know all this schooling at the same place so and I remember him like literally like 11 12 years old uh, playing and we having you know lessons you know back to back and it's it's so it's super super interesting and and endearing for me to see him come because I you know I haven't seen him in, in a couple of years so I think it's going to be great he's such a great person and Great, great pianist. I'm, I'm so looking forward to seeing him. Yeah. So, Matthias, can you tell us a little bit? You know, we've talked about obviously. You know, I I love the, your passion and where you're you're coming from in introducing not just audiences but performers to new works and new techniques and new um, experiences. Can you talk a little bit about your contemporary ensemble um, that you're you're leading now and um, you know, I was reading about it and some of the projects that you've done, and I think it's um, really important work and really rewarding, I'm sure, for the musicians and the audiences. But just about that ensemble and the kind of music that you play and the different ideas and, and things that you're bringing to music performances. The ensemble that you're talking about is called the Ensemble Intercontemporain. It's Paris-based, and we are 31 musicians. And so it's exactly... You know, it's almost a crossbreed. It's it's in between an ensemble and really like a chamber orchestra size. Mm -hmm. And uh, our missions for the last 
yeah, 45 years have been devoted to um, defining, exploring the music of today, but in in context by always going back to the key and you know masterworks of the the 20th century i mean we we play a mozart grand patita a wind serenade too but we combine it with you know a commission or you know someone that is providing intersections like comments on the grand patita so we cover you know a, a wide repertoire but mainly it's like um um taking re like revisiting the, the key works of the 20th century but investing in the future and giving out commissions and uh, pursuing relationships that we initiate with uh, composers worldwide um, so what i try to do in the last 10 years is really to present the rich and nowadays i can say richest diversity of musical personalities and styles worldwide upon clearly the criteria it needs to be you know the best and even also the most challenging the most you know daring um what we have and um yeah i've just been flying to you to kansas, kansas city yesterday and i just got out of auditions at the julian school where i'm currently teaching composition and we saw 50 50 students applicants that we selected out of several hundreds and it almost brought me to tears to see how much there's so many powerful voices out there. I mean, we saw a young lady aged 17 and what she brought to the table as as a human, as a mensch, as as an artist, as a strong interface of nowadays society and what, how she conveys that in, in her art form that she chose to express herself. It was just, it brought me to tears. So that's something we take at the ensemble and the contemporary and and present it and nourish it and uh, nurture it and uh, with all the risk that it entails so we maybe have a little more grace space that we you know we we don't have always have to you know just be a hundred percent successful in terms of ticket sales with every concert that we give we tour a lot you know but it's it's really the in the investment in a future generation of the strongest voices and it needs you know it entails the this that aspect of discovery so um that's that's what we do um but that's only that you know small part of my life where i'm devoted to the contemporary music but um mostly i'm playing Brahms and schubert and beethoven and ligety this week in kansas city <laughs> In the end, listen, contemporary music is is the music of today. And don't don't even think that people in the streets of Prague were whistling the happy tunes of Don Giovanni by Mozart at, at its time. You know, uh, the music of our time has to be heard. It's it's our duty. It's our responsibility to showcase those works and, you know, present them in the most ideal context and circumstances, of course. But, you know, music, art has always been that interface of a social context of society, willingly or unwillingly. And I think that's what makes it so powerful. We can be shaken, we can be mesmerized by works of art. And um, somehow, I think music is, is, is probably the most direct art form. And that's why it's so powerful. And sometimes people think, oh, I couldn't quite understand it. I mean, you you don't understand a symphony by Schubert. You don't understand a symphony by Dvorak. We feel it. Maybe we feel that one 
sonic artwork less than the other one. But if you go to a museum, there's no problem with that. You just you like maybe the French Impressionist more the Monet painting than than uh, I see a Kandinsky painting, you know, in the back there. Um, <laughs> so you know, it's not a problem. You might you know appreciate one artwork less than the other one. It's 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 we should you know feel absolutely free to have you know respond emotionally to to any artwork. And music is is the same. You're walking through a garden and. You can pick and smell the flowers that you, you know, might appreciate more. So it should be a very natural process. But yes, the music of the ancient past and the music of today and everything that is in between should form a global, you know, entity and be displayed and showed and showcased, um, you know, to some sort of, you know, democratic levels and proportions. And in that line, Matthias, uh, I have like a two bold question, like really coming out of what you just said, what do you think nowadays, uh, what does the world need more right now? And how does that uh, get influenced by the composers that you are seeing right now? If there's something specific that you feel the world needs more, do you feel composers are addressing that? And potentially who uh, who's really putting that as a real tasks on their table and trying to share that into the world? Um, yes, I might have an answer. I don't know if, if, if it's the right answer or the answer, but I have an answer. Yes. I mean, we're all coming out of COVID. At least that, that's what it feels like. We've been isolated. Um, we have been struck by a panic mode. I mean, I think all of us could, you know, confirm that we had no idea if we would ever get out of this, if we you know, will be playing on the stage again, if we can share our art with the people that we love and care about, our audiences, you know, people that we care about. And as a conclusion of that, like we spent so much time online, we taught online, we streamed, we produced concerts under the most, you know, ridiculous but necessary uh, conditions just because we were so driven to continue somewhat, somehow to do what we believe in. It's a very spiritual thing. That pain, that struggle, that effort also showed us two things that we are in the end a lot more flexible than we're used to operate. We can be more spontaneous as human beings. I think we're very spontaneous. We want to be inspired. We want to be intrigued. We want to try that new flavor, that new dish, and we're very open. And that applies to the arts too. But this kind of desolation and the devastation of being locked away and not being able to interact even with our families because of COVID resulted in that everyone felt somewhat compelled, that's my personal opinion, to constantly comment on social media to, you know, like this, just, there was so much verbal output and opinion making that I think we lost a little bit of the quality to really understand the listening capacity is in a human society. And if not us musicians, instrumentalists, conductors, composers, presenters, it really is our role mainly to encourage the listening instead of just constantly throwing out statements and opinions. That comes second, and our role, us, the artists, should should be to be a voice of a society. But it's based on listening, 
and that's what I feel is 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 could and will become an even more powerful thing. The appreciation of turning off your phone, committing to go to the theater, to the symphony, even to the movies. You know, just go to a sacred place and commit to one hour of like sharing time, sound, ideas, emotions, feelings, colors with someone else, with many other people. That's that's a, it's it's a divine, it's a beautiful spiritual experience. And it it it's based on listening capacities. So whenever for us performers, when you feel that listening quality in a hall, it takes us, wow, it takes us way, way into what we believe in. It allows us to do things that sometimes we thought we were not able to to pull off. But if we feel the listening on, you know, in, in, in my particular case, behind my back, it allows you to do so many things. It's, it's a powerful, magical moment. Uh, listening is, is a quality. Yes, we all speak. And right now we're doing a podcast. We're talking, talking, <laughs> talking, but it leads to the listening. So if, if the, um, those, you know, the people that come and hear us on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, at the symphony, maybe that could open a door that listening is is grace. It's it's a beautiful thing. Just I mean, we thought a lot about what we're gonna offer to you, how we play it. I mean, it's there's a lot of thought and quality that you know comes together. Like look at look at how much history is what what it means to bring that to you, you the listeners, like instrument building, music history, like an orchestra that forms a style. This goes goes hundreds of years back. So it's 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 a sacred moment, and we 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 care. I mean, every single member of the Kansas City Symphony has spent so much time preparing their individual parts this week, and that's a powerful thing. So that mutual appreciation and uh, record the mutual recognition, I think it's 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 based on listening. So sorry, that was a long answer, but maybe maybe that's what I really believe. In us composers us interpreters an orchestra of that quality you know is 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 a key key communicator to to our community to a society that is so struggling right now so um i believe in that we can make the world more beautiful by what we offer what we present what we believe in and how we showcase it for you here here that's wonderful um well while we're on the topic of listening I was wondering if you could humor us just a little bit. You studied with Pierre Boulez. Um, when I was in school, Pierre Boulez was kind of a, a legendary uh, person in that there were always stories told about his incredible lis listening skills, his incredible ears. I'm just wondering if uh, there's any story you could share with us um, about him. Yeah, of course. I mean, um, when I met Boulez for the first time, I was... 26 years old. That's a while ago. And uh, the the grand Gérard Mortier, uh, intendant, uh, artistic director of the Salzburg Festival at the time, uh, set us up for, for lunch. And with all my admiration uh, I, I, I had for Boulez already at this time, I was absolutely mortified <laughs> to meet him. <laughs> I was I was like, oh my God, what if he asked me like, oh Matthias, how do you generate your notes? What's what's your system? Because he was such a structuralist. And I was like so terrified that I would not have an answer for him, whatever the question would be. And then we just enjoyed 
a beautiful first lunch of many, 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 many shared meals in, in, in the time that we had together. And, and there was not even a question about his music or my music. We just talked about painting, film noir, um, about Francis Bacon. And there were so many connections that instantly were presenting itself and we recognized each other. And from that point on, I spent many, many, many afternoons with him, either in his Baden-Baden home in Germany or in Paris. And we sat next to each other on the same couch with you know, the scores on our laps and looking at Daphne and Chloe and Schoenberg and Bartok. And every time I had to conduct one of those works for the first time, I asked Pierre, like, do you have time for me? Come, come, come tomorrow. Yes. And he mm. always had time. So I mentioned the word generosity a lot in this podcast, but, you know, he, he was curious about what we had to say what we were struggling with, like our hurdles that we, had, we were trying to overcome. It was never like, I never felt like I was taught by Pierre Bonnet. He was always asking questions out of his own curiosity. So that really kind of set a mark for for my personal life also to, you know, um, sometimes it's just, just fine to not have an answer. But if you put out a question, it activates other people to, to think and join. And, mm. you know, that's, I think, what we call communication. And he, he had this, like, no one else, this generosity and curiosity. And he always, like, walking. He was walking very fast, even in his 80s. Like, you know, tuck, 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 like, quick, quick, quick. <laughs> you know, like, and, but what I'm saying is, like, the, the, this whole, the phenomenon of motion and movement is sometimes even more important than knowing exactly where you're heading. We're all so determined. We're all, like, strategizing. We're all, like, you know, on a mission. But sometimes it's just healthy and good to, to keep moving. It's okay to sometimes not know where you're heading but motion is important because standstill is artistic death well i'm curious um i mean i think it's incredible when you can have you know somebody who's both a mentor and a friend and a colleague and you know an, an ear um and i i love picturing that you know you you guys sitting together and having conversations i'm curious if you replaced boulez with beethoven just for one just for one of those meals and you guys were going to have a conversation or you were going to ask him a question, what would be one question? Because this is Beethoven walks into a bar. What one question would you want to ask Beethoven? Would it be about music? Would it be about gardening? Oh boy. <laughs> I mean, I would be very tempted to ask him like where this opus one, one, one piano sonata, especially the second movement, came from i wouldn't ask that if i had one one shot i would probably ask him yeah picturing the scenario that i described with pierre Boulez sitting next to each other on the couch mm -hmm. you know, with our scores on our you know in front of us um i would probably ask him what fortepiano meant to him because it it is such a different thing and if you look at you know what it is in the second symphony and then you look at the eighth symphony Forte piano or even sforzato piano. So it, he completely redefined that very specific musical terminology uh, throughout his life, and and connected to that question probably how he had the guts to throw everything overboard, walking from symphony to symphony, especially with that accomplishment. Someone that mastered 
like invention, like no one else. And then just, you know, just blowing it all away and to start fresh and heading to the next symphony, to the next piano sonata, to the next string quartet. I mean, they're all like islands. They're so every, they're artifacts, like every symphony, every piano sonata, every quartet is just, you know, manifesting a completely new, fresh vision. Still the same composer, but you know, how he found the courage in his time to, to just do that. I find it, you know, just fascinating. Well, and the other, the other equally important side of this question, then, is we always ask, what would you ask Beethoven? But the other side is, what is your beverage of choice? So you're here in Kansas City, and you are going to go, um, you're, you're at the beautiful um, hotel downtown. I saw the view that you have. Um, if you were going to go to the bar or go down to the coffee shop, what would be your drink of choice? It was a long day for me yesterday. I I was, you know, in auditions all day at Juilliard and went on a three hour, 10 minute flight and got off the plane and arrived at the hotel. And I had only one, but two martinis, vodka, really dirty, wow. slash almost filthy, no olives. And <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's clearly, I mean, I wouldn't, I don't know if it's my absolute favorite preferred beverage ever, but it does the trick and it kicks in and it, it feels good. And if it's really, you know, cold and little remove only, um, super dry. I mean, that said with such conviction. <laughs> well, there you go. I hope that answers your question. There you go. <laughs> Absolutely does. Absolutely does. Well, this has been an awesome conversation, Matthias. Thank you, John. Thank you for joining us. Gonzalo, thank you so much for being here. Um, I can't wait to hear these, this program and to fully embrace Ligeti and um, just, I, I look forward to the weekend. And thank you all just so much for, for joining us. Uh, everybody, remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Beethoven Walks Into a Bar. And also remember, Matthias is leading the Kansas City Symphony March 3rd through 5th in Hellsberg Hall at the Kaufman Center for the Performing Arts in a program of Ligeti, Scriabin, and Ravel. Tickets are available at kcsymphony.org. Join us again next week for another episode and stay tuned for chats with guest conductors Teddy Abrams, Thomas Wilkins, Valentina Pelegi, and our own maestro Michael Stern. All that remaining this season on Beethoven Walks Into a Bar. 